Part One, Chapter Fourteen of Recollections of the Revolution and the Empire. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Seventeen ninety three to seventeen ninety four. Life at Bordeaux. A memorandum had been presented to the municipality of Saint Andre de Cubzac going to show that the estate of Libreville was a royal domain. Without any further information, the commissioners were sent to Libreville, where they placed the seals with such prodigality that there was not a single door which could be opened. However, an excellent girl whom I had left at the chateau had already concealed the most valuable effects which I had there, in the way of linen and so forth, and brought them to me at Bordeaux each week in small packets. About this time I began to fear that my prolonged sojourn with Monsieur de Boucan was attracting too much attention. Above all, I feared that my presence at his house would end by compromising him. This situation was often the subject of my conversations with a relative of Monsieur de Boucan, Monsieur de Chambeau, who was himself suspected and obliged to hide. He had found a very retired place of refuge with an individual who kept a little obscure hotel, Place Puy-Paulin. This individual, young and active, a widower with a single child whom he had confided to his mother-in-law, lived entirely alone in this hotel with a single domestic. This man, whose name was Bonny, pretended to be a furious demagogue. He wore a vest of coarse plush called Camagnol, sabot, and a sabre. He went to the meetings of the section, to the Jacobins' club, and vowed everyone. Monsieur de Chambeau spoke to him of my anxieties. I did not know where I could retire. My husband was in flight. My father and father-in-law were prisoners. My house had been seized, and my only friend, Monsieur de Bourcon, was under arrest at his own house. At twenty-four years of age, with two little children, what was to become of me? Bonny came to see me at Canol, and was interested in my sad situation. He proposed that I take refuge with him. His house was vacant, and Monsieur Bocan advised me not to reject his offer. I therefore accepted. He gave me an apartment which was very sombre and very dilapidated, was an outlook upon a little garden. Here I installed myself with my two children, their nurse, and my dear Marguerite, who was continually tormented by a fever which nothing seemed to cure. My dear Grosamour passed for a free black who was awaiting the moment to join the army. The location of my own apartment enabled me to enjoy my music without the danger of being overheard. As I was alone a great deal of the time, this was a great distraction for me. I knew a very good music teacher named Ferrari, of Italian origin, who had stated, and also proved to me, that he was an agent of the royal princes. He was very spiritual and original, and had much talent. My room, which was quite large, was reached through a kind of wood-house in which I had had piled up a large lot of wood which had been brought from Le Bouille, unknown to the guardian there. This wood 
was brought by our peasants who took it in my interest a woman in the country who was entirely devoted to us also came to bordeaux twice a week to sell vegetables she led a donkey which bore panniers half full of linen and clothing which were covered with cabbages and potatoes she was adroit enough to make the employee of the octroi believe that these objects had been taken from the enemies of the people sometimes she made them a present of some articles and brought the rest to me my husband found a means of writing to me by a boy who came to bordeaux each week his letter which was without address was concealed in a loaf of bread which the child brought to the place ostensibly for the nurse as he arrived at a fixed hour the cook awaited him at the time of high tide this poor child fifteen years of age was ignorant of the subterfuge they had simply told him that there was a nurse in the house whom the physician had forbidden to eat the bread of the section this pain de section was composed of all kinds of flour was black and sticky and one would hesitate now to give it even to the dogs it was delivered hot from the furnace and every one was forced to place himself in line to obtain it it was a very singular thing however that the people found a sort of pleasure in this assemblage as the terror under which they lived hardly permitted them to exchange a word with those whom they met in the street this queue represented so to speak an authorised meeting where they could speak with their neighbours and learn the news without being exposed to the imprudence of a question i do not recall under what circumstances all the english and american merchants residing at bordeaux were arrested this measure gave me the well-founded fear of being taken for an englishwoman which had often happened bunny was seriously alarmed and advised me no longer to wear a hat when i went out during the day but to dress myself like the women of bordeaux this idea of disguise was not disagreeable i ordered some brassieres which were well suited to my form very slight at that time and which with the red handkerchief upon my head changed me so completely that i encountered people of my acquaintance without being recognized Monsieur de Bourcon, who was still in confinement, was very much amused at the comments of his twenty-five guardians upon the daily visits which he received from the belle grisette. Nevertheless, my position at Bordeaux became more perilous from day to day, and I cannot understand how I escaped death. I was advised to endeavour to have the séquestre of Le Bouillet raised, but any manifestation of my existence seemed to me too dangerous and i was in a state of the most desperate uncertainty when providence sent me a special protection madame de fontenay who was then called theresia caparus arrived at bordeaux four years before i had met her once at paris madame Chard de la Mette, with whom she had been a pupil in a convent, pointed her out to me one evening in coming out of the theatre. She did not seem to me at the time to be more than fourteen or fifteen years of age, and only left in my mind the remembrance of a child. 
it was said that she had divorced her husband to preserve her fortune but it was rather to use and abuse her liberty having met tallien at the baths of the pyrenees he had rendered her some kind of service of which i am ignorant which she had rewarded with an unlimited devotion which she took no pains to disguise she had come to bordeaux to rejoin him and was quartered at the hotel d'angleterre on the day following her arrival i wrote her the following note a lady who has met madame de fontenay at paris and who knows that she is as good as she is beautiful requests a moment of interview she replied verbally that this lady could come whenever she wished a half hour later i was at her door when i entered she came to me and looking me in the face cried Dieu, madame de gouvernet then having embraced me with effusion she put herself at my service this was her expression i explained to her my situation she considered it more dangerous than i had thought it myself and declared that the only means of saving myself was to fly as soon as possible i told her that i could not make up my mind to leave without my husband she said you must see tanya he will advise you as to the course to adopt you will be safe here as soon as he knows that you are the object of my interest I determined to solicit from Tanyan the lifting of the sequest of Le Bouis in the name of my children, also the permission to retire there with them. Then I left her, with a feeling of confidence from the interest she had shown, and at the same time asking myself why she was interested in me. Madame de Fontenay was then not more than twenty years of age. A more beautiful human being had never issued from the hands of the Creator. She was a perfect woman. All her features bore the imprint of the most regular and artistic perfection. Her hair, black as ebony, seemed made of the finest silk, and nothing detracted from the brilliancy of her complexion, which was clear as ivory. An enchanting smile displayed the most admirable teeth, her tall form recalled that of Diane Chasseresse. The least movements revealed an incomparable grace, while her voice, which was harmonious and slightly marked with a foreign accent, exercised a charm which no words can express. You could not help feeling sad when you thought it. So much youth, beauty, grace and spirit was abandoned to the man who every morning signed the death warrant of many innocent persons the following morning i received from madame de fontenay this message this evening at ten o'clock i passed the day in a state of agitation difficult to describe arming myself with all my courage at nine o'clock i took the arm of monsieur de chambeau who was more alarmed than myself without daring to show it he conducted me to the door of Madame de Fontenay, where he left me, with the promise to walk up and down the boulevard until the moment when I came out. Tallien had not yet arrived, and the moment of waiting was full of anguish. 
Madame de Fontenay could not talk with me, as there were several persons present whom I did not know. Finally we heard the carriage, and it was impossible to be mistaken, for it was the only one which rolled in the streets of this large city. Madame de Fontenay went out, and returned in a moment. She took my hand, saying, He waits you. If she had announced to me that the executioner was there, I could not have had a different feeling. She opened a door upon a little passageway, at the end of which I saw a lighted room. As I hesitated involuntarily, Madame de Fontenay gave me a push in the back and said, Go ahead. Do not act like a child. Then she turned and went away, closing the door. It was necessary for me to advance, but I did not dare raise my eyes. Nevertheless, I walked to the corner of the chimney-piece, upon which were two lighted candles. Without the support of the marble, I should have fallen. Talian was leaning on the other corner. He said, in a voice that was quite soft, What do you wish of me? Then I stammered the request to be allowed to go to our country estate of Le Bouille, and that the seals which had been placed there by error should be taken from the property of my father-in-law with whom I had resided. Briskly, he replied, that all this was none of his affair. Then he said, but you are then the daughter-in-law of this man who was confronted with the woman Cape, And you have a father? What is his name? Ha! Huh. Dylan, the general. All the enemies of the Republic will pass like this, he added, making at the same time with his hand the gesture of cutting off a head. I was overcome with indignation, which gave me back all my courage. I raised my eyes to look at this monster, whom I had not yet regarded. Before me I saw a man of twenty-five or twenty-six, with a fine face, which he endeavoured to render severe. A mass of blonde curls escaped from all sides under a large military hat, covered with varnished cloth and surmounted by a tricoloured plume. He was dressed in a long, tight overcoat of coarse blue cloth, over which hung a sabre by a shoulder-belt which was crossed by a long silk staff of the three colours. "'I have not come here, citizen,' said I, "'to hear the sentence of death of my family, "'and since you cannot accord me what I have demanded, "'I must not trouble you longer.' At the same time I gave him a slight salute with my head. He smiled, as if to say, you are very rash to talk to me in this manner. Then I went out by the door by which I had entered, without going again to the salon. On my return home, I felt that my position was aggravated rather than helped. If Tarian did not help me, my fate appeared to me certain. Towards the middle of the winter, the locksmith with whom my husband was concealed arrived at Bordeaux to purchase iron. He came to see me, and I showed him my appreciation and my confidence. I also let him see my children, so that he would be able to tell their father that he had found them in good health. He was a good peasant of Saintonge, but very simple and ignorant, and understanding nothing of the state of the country, 
he could not comprehend why they were able to eat excellent white bread at Mirambeau, while that which they had given him that morning at Bordeaux was so black that his dog would have refused it. While waiting for the tide to turn so that he could return to Blaye, he walked in Bordeaux and unfortunately passed the Place Dauphine, where executions were taking place. A lady mounted the scaffold and he demanded, what was her crime? She is an aristocrat, they replied. Soon he saw a peasant like himself called upon to submit to the same fate. Again he demanded the reason, and it was explained that this man had given asylum to a nobleman, and that for this reason only he was condemned to die with him. The poor man forgot what had brought him to Bordeaux. He set out to return on foot, and on his arrival home during the night he at once announced to my husband that he could not guard him for another hour, as his own life and that of his wife were in danger. He ran to wake up his brother-in-law, the groom, who could not succeed in reassuring him. It was decided that they should attach a horse to a little chariot at the bottom of which they put some straw in which my husband was concealed. Then they departed through roundabout roads for Tesson, the chateau of my father-in-law upon which the seals had been placed, but to which the concierge Grégoire and his wife had a secret entrance. One of the windows of the pavilion which they occupied looked out upon the road. The groom rapped at a shutter which they opened, and my husband entered by this window and was received by these worthy people with exclamations of pleasure. He was installed in a room adjoining their own, with a chimney in common. This permitted them to have a fire every day without attracting attention without, which was very much appreciated by my husband, who was very chilly. At Tesson there was an excellent library. The inventory of this and also of the furniture of the chateau had not yet been taken. The seals had been placed only upon the exterior doors, so that it was possible to go anywhere in the house as long as the Venetian blinds were not opened. My husband therefore had access to all the books he wished to read. He even found means of withdrawing papers and old correspondence of his father, the publication of which would have been disagreeable. However, he was not destined to enjoy this retreat, which was comparatively comfortable, without trouble. At the end of seven or eight days, orders arrived at the municipality of Tesson that they should at once proceed with the inventory of all that was contained in the chateau, which was large and very well furnished. The father of my husband had inherited this property from Monsieur de Montconseil, his father-in-law, who had lived there for forty years, and had furnished it in a sumptuous and magnificent manner of the time of Louis the Fourteenth. This inventory would take about two days, and it was impossible to expect that any corner of the chateau would escape the vigilance of the visitors. Gregoire did not disguise his fears from my unfortunate husband. He declared that he did not know a place where he could conceal him, or a person in the village or the neighbourhood who would be willing to receive him. It was therefore agreed that Gregoire should go to Saint to see Boucher the postmaster, 
a former écuyer of Monsieur de Montconseil, who was very much attached to my husband, whom he had known when very young at his grandfather's, and request him to receive the fugitive at his house. Gregoire set out early in the morning, on foot, in very bad weather, although he was over seventy years of age. He did not find Boucher at home, but his sister, who was equally devoted to our interests, consented to receive my husband and conceal him during the absence of her brother. Gregoire accordingly returned to Tesson without having taken any rest. That very night he again set out with my husband for Saint, a locality where there were no walls, and which was consequently accessible by byways known to Gregoire. I have omitted to say before that I had sent my husband, during the time he was at Mirabeau, a complete costume of a peasant of the revolutionary period, in which he could hardly recognize himself. Mademoiselle Boucher received him very well, but with an exaggeration of precautions from which he drew the conclusion that the shorter the time he remained in the house, the better she would like it. The inventory at Tesson having been finished at the end of three days, it was possible for my husband to return. End of part one, chapter fourteen.